Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, the Dango H.O. Baby. And my guest is Christine Walker the, uh, of Devil Doc Publishing. Uh, how's it going today, Christine? It's going great. It's great to be here. I hope you like that Dango H.O. Baby. So, sure, sure. <laughs> something a little bit new here. So, so we're just going to talk about your military service, why you joined. We all have our own stories. And then what you did while you're in, your transition and difficulties coming out and getting used to normal life on the outside. And then we all know you had got a magazine, so we want to talk about that, of course. So why did you join the military? So um, I joined the military because it was just the thing to do in our family. Um, I had 14 members in my family who served. Um, From my great-grandfather in World War One to both my grandfathers and my great-aunt in World War Two, And then she was a flight nurse um, in the Army Air Corps because there was no Air Force at the time. Um, so she uh, she served as flight nurse in World War Two and the Korean War. And she was the only living female to receive the Distinguished Flying Cross. Wow. In Korea. That's awesome. So, and then my uncle served in the Navy. My stepdad was Navy. My dad was Air Force. My brother's a Marine. My great uncle was killed at Iwo Jima. Um, and he was a Marine. So, yeah. So it was just, it was like normal. Just like, it was just, to me, it was like trade school, college, military, you know? And then, of course, I'm a Gen Xer. So we're like, well, let's just go in the military. So that's what I did. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's pretty cool, though, that uh, you have so many family members that, that served the country before. So you have a l- long bloodline of patriotism oh, and yeah. honor and duty to this country. So Yeah. Patriotism wasn't discussed because it was just how it was. You know that's, what I mean? Yeah, that's very understandable. I mean, it's just, well, as an American, I mean, right. personally, I think you should just have patriotism you shouldn't even sway in any other way but love love your country exactly love of country right but yeah so it wasn't a big deal um I mean it was a big deal but it wasn't something that um you know I had to be taught it was just and of course I'm kind of the mama bear of the veterans now I'm damn it I'm 51 so um you know I served during Desert Storm in fact, I was actually in boot camp when Desert Storm started. So I'll share wow. that in a bit. But um, yeah, it was just, but I I actually remember going down to maps and it was very different then. Um, I drove myself. Like I didn't have a recruiter with me. They just said, be here at 0800. You're going to take your test. You're going to have your physical. And, you know, if you pass your ASVAB and the scores are good, um, you know, we'll go ahead and swear you in. And I'm like, okay, 
So I drove myself to downtown Denver, which is where I I um I lived in Lakewood, um, a suburb of Denver. So I drove to downtown Denver and um took my ASVAB, had my physical, did all that, and by the afternoon I was sworn in. And wow. and so there it, it wasn't in a room with like 12 other people or 20 people. It was in a little tiny, and I mean tiny, office with, you know, two guys and another girl and myself. And they came in and they told us to stand up, raise our right hand. But when I took that oath, man, did it mean something. Even at the 18, it meant something. And um, and that was it. So there we are. That's, and that's... <laughs> And and lo and behold, I was I was in the Navy. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember the oath, and I was like, "What did I just do?" Mm-hmm. Oh crap! So, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I I had to join. I didn't have a well, I didn't have to, but it was either that or who knows where I'd be right now. I definitely want to be where I'm at now. Right. Um. It it gave me a bunch of values and everything, and got me. And straight and narrow and the right direction and you know 14 and a half years later i mean i'm medically retired but i mean i'm i uh day one is just like so scary it's like i don't even know what i'm doing right now so so well, what did you do oh sorry the advantage i had was my brother was actually active duty marine corps oh, so okay. at the same time so now it was like I was in delayed entry, so I took the oath in November, and then I was delayed entry till the end of December to actually go to boot camp. But my brother was active duty Marine, so for me it was like, okay, no big deal. Boot camps, you know, eight nine weeks, whatever it was, and and it's like, okay, that's short. Then a school, then you know, off to duty station. And I actually went in as a reservist, and. Um, but at the time, Desert Storm, Desert Shield was going on. So I didn't really pay attention to like, I mean, I knew it was going on, but I didn't really pay attention to it because, you know, honestly, I was like, well, isn't that kind of why we joined the military? <laughs> Is, you know, isn't that kind of the point? Um, but I didn't have no idea what my mother was going through. Can you imagine? We're on the brink of war, and now both her kids are in the military. Um, so yeah, it was it was something else. But yeah, I I was I loved it. I I loved boot camp. Uh, how'd your uh, how'd your mother fare through this? You know, probably through a lot of prayer, <laughs> a lot of prayer, and you know, Desert Storm was like we were in, we were out. I mean, it wasn't long. It was, you know, what, a few weeks. Um, so there was that. And I wasn't, I was in boot camp. It was January 17th, 1991. And the day before my 19th birthday. Wow. And Desert Storm started. And I remember my company commanders, because in boot camp we have company, Navy has company commanders. And so I remember them, both of them coming in and it was dark. It was, of course, January and probably eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And they both came in wearing sunglasses. And I'm like, 
what kind of voodoo crap is this? <laughs> you know? And then, you know, and they weren't, they weren't mean. They weren't yelling at us. They were just like, hey, this is what's going on. We need to tell you. A bunch of the girls in our company, you know, because I'm in a squad bay, an open bay barracks of, you know, freaking 90 women, 80 women, whatever it was. And a lot of them start crying. And I kind of got pissed with that. <laughs> I, I did. I kind of got pissed off. But again, I come from a long line of military. So maybe that's why. Maybe it's because my brother was a Marine. Maybe. I, I don't know. But I kind of got pissed off and I wasn't crying. Like, I literally, that was the moment when I'm like, okay, this is why we're here. And so a lot of the women were crying. And um, I remember my company commander my chief she's like she's like walker you know why aren't you you know falling down in tears you know kind of and I'm like well ma'am isn't this why we're here and I was just very I wasn't I wasn't being sarcastic I was just you know isn't this why we're here and um you know and so my brain at that point really kicked into high gear and then they sh shaved off a week of our training our boot camp training so instead of doing all the because <clears throat> you know navy's big on on tradition and form and doing a lot of the the i guess for army and and marine corps be, would be field but um the grinder being on the grinder and doing all the gun you know stuff and and the marching and you know, wearing the traditional calf covers, you know, mm -hmm. over your, over your boondockers and your, and your cap, what are they called? Anyway. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I was just like, okay, isn't that why we're here? So they kind of sped up our boot camp so we can, so we could get to RA school. So that's one of my memories. So uh, what'd you do in the Navy? Um, I was a hospital corpsman. Oh, so cool. I um, I went directly to hospital corpsman school from boot camp um, because all leaves were canceled, obviously. And so um, I showed up in uniform and then I got yelled at when I got to Great Lakes because I went to boot camp in Orlando got and then had to go to Great Lakes. There was a blizzard and the van didn't pick me up from base. So I flew into Chicago, went to the USO, said, hey, I'm here. Can a van come get me? Or I thought they'd be there. Oh, nobody's here. So they called the base and they're like, well, it's a blizzard. Nobody's going. I'm like, well, crap, I have to get to base. I have like literally three hours to check in before I'm AWOL. So I'm like, well, I guess I take a cab. So I got in this frigging cab in Chicago, and it's on a good day, it's an hour drive, right? So I'm in this cab in uniform with this Middle Eastern dude. And, and I'm like, all I have is the cash on me. I have nothing else. Thank God I had that cash. Um, so he drops me off. And it's like the cab ride was like 100 and freaking 20 bucks. And this was 1991. Right? And I'm like, okay. So it was literally all I had. 
So I gave him the money. I went into the to the guard shack and I'm like, okay, I'm here. And I hand him my orders. And they're like, um, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know, because I'm going to A school here. You know, I wasn't flippant, but I was kind of annoyed. And, and they're like, oh, we weren't expecting you to tomorrow. And I'm like, well, I'm here now. They're like, well, you're not supposed to be in uniform. And I'm like, and I was supposed to, I just came from boot camp, dude. And he goes, what? I said, I literally was on a bus from boot camp to the airport, got on a plane, flew here. I have no civilian clothes. And they're like, oh, oh. So anyway, long story short, they finally got me settled and got me in my my class but yeah I was a corpsman so that was fun you know that was fun um, oh that's funny I, I like that story it's just like you seem like you're such a go-getter and you're a head chart are you charge right in with your head down and just don't care about what's going on around you so I don't know too many people that would just jumped in a cab and been like okay so let well, me get I was like, shit, I have to, I have to be there. <laughs> you know, I think I was more afraid of the Navy and what they do to me if I didn't mm-hmm. show up on time. So, <clears throat> you know, my brother, Marine, adapt and overcome. And I'm like, well, okie dokie, I guess I'm going to spend all my money. Well, I did put in, I did put in a, a chip because they were supposed to pick me up. Somebody dropped the ball. And yeah. And they're like, well, how'd you get here? I'm like, I took a cab in a blizzard in my uniform, you know? And they're like, oh, okay, well, well, you know, put in it, put in a chit and we'll reimburse you. I'm like, yeah, you better reimburse me my 120 bucks. Yeah, 120 bucks back then was a lot to uh, eat. Like, you know, 250, 300 bucks today, right? <clears throat> but if, if not more. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it it sucked. And uh, then I get to um, the barracks, the birthing, which is the old, old, like pre-World War II uh, hospital. And I was on ninth floor. And because I was at A school, you can't take the elevators. You have to climb all those steps. Thank God I was in really good shape from boot camp. So I got up there with my sea bag, had no civilian clothes, and ended up, you know, catching a rack and catching some sleep for about three hours. And then I was up, and thank God for youth, because I could not do it today. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I'm only 38, but no, I was a scout in the Army, so it's, you know, it's just wear and tear for deployments, and I'm just, plus... A little fun tour in South Korea and right, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I think just the last like five years, I just feel my body just like it's time, bro. It's time to oh, start yeah. cooling it down and <laughs> taking a break. And it's like, but I got six kids at home, I can't take a break, right? Yeah, that ain't happening, so I gotta keep charging forward, yeah. So. so, and so school was good, um, it was fast, learned a lot, but you know what's funny. I still remember certain things very, very vividly about uh, school. So, you know, if you had a gaping chest wound, I can save your life with a credit card. Uh, I I, I didn't know that was 
So we, when, when I was saying we had all the new fancy stuff, so there was no, yeah, tricks. Yeah, we were we were old school, so yeah. old school. Like we literally were taught the same thing that like they were taught, Corman were taught back in Vietnam. Okay. So it was wow. very very different Corman training. Yeah, but, sounds uh, like it. So, and then um, got through school, and then I got sister brother sister duty um, my brother was at Lejeune and I got stationed at the um, Camp Lejeune Naval Hospital there so and then literally three weeks after I arrived he's off on deployment mm. so pretty much the whole time I was in at Lejeune my brother was deployed awesome. <laughs> that was dumb because I could have gone to Pendleton and gone 8404, which is the only place they had the 8404 um, billets open for female corpsmen. So I'm like, well, crap. So, but it was okay. You know, Camp Swampy wasn't that bad. <laughs> I don't know. Now everybody's getting sick out or getting sick from all the whatever it was out there. So oh, the water. Yeah, yeah, that was like literally a year after I was there. So oh. so the cutoff date was 89 and I arrived in 91. So Of course. Of course. Of course. But now oh. it's good. And I and here's the funny part. So, you know, you get to your duty station and typically you're you're giving like billeting or or your barracks, you know, you're assigned your room and your barracks and that kind of thing. Oh no. No, no, no. They did not have any barracks. So open, available. So I got per diem to live off base. Really? From day one. Like I never slept in the <laughs> on base ever. Wow, that's lucky. So I but it kind of sucked. I had no car. So I had to go get a car and it was a piece of crap and you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so how many how many years did you do? Um, I was only in for two because by the time Desert Storm ended, and then they start that was like the early nineties, like nineteen ninety-two is when they really started um downsizing the military. They were like forcing retirements and and because I had gone in, now I went in reservist, but I went active duty during A school. But because I went in as a reservist, they're like, oh, check her off the list. She's gone, you know. Mm. So I'm like, crap, because I literally went in expecting to make a career out of it. So. Too, but, too, bad, too bad they didn't let you stay in then. You seem like you would have been a great leader at some point. Yeah, I mean, if they would have let me stay in, I would have just gone to to Pendleton and gone 8404 and done that but I love serving with Marine Corps and um, you know corpsmen are kind of weird um, because once you serve with the Marine Corps you kind of are your own little tiny entity of the military <laughs> you, you're not really Navy people are like oh tell me about the Navy I'm like I can't I don't know anything about the Navy <laughs> They have boats and ships. That's what I know about the Navy. 
Um, oh, that's funny. And they're like, what? They're like, no, I serve with the Marine Corps. You want to know what the Marine Corps? I can tell you about the Marine Corps. So, yeah. That's funny. Uh, so when did you start looking at transitioning out and everything? Like, when did you know you were going to be done with the, well, Navy slash Marines? I didn't know I was going to be discharged until about two weeks before I was. So, wow. so they kind of informed, I got a letter. Um, sorry, I've got a eyelash that's bugging me. Okay. Um, I got a letter from my command um, basically saying, hey, you know, because you came in as reservist and we're downsizing the military right now, you know, because you're a low rank, we have to let you go. Thank you for your service. You know, your your um, discharge date is this. And I'm like, well, wow. So, so I, uh, I had to move, you know, I had you know, all that, because I had per diem, and I had a car, and all that, so um, they ended up, um, I went on my date, which was funny enough, June 12th, I don't know if you know about June 12th, June 12th is like the new Women's Veterans Day, it, it, um, it signifies the, the date that um, Eisenhower signed into law, uh, the ability of women to serve full time in the military. I didn't. I actually did not know that. Honestly, back in, the, back in forty-eight. So anyway, yeah, I, it's like, oh, of course, it was on June twelfth. <laughs> so the day, so I, the day they get rid of you. Yeah. So I went to um, get my pay and my per diem for my move and my DD two fourteen, and basically, you know, had a nice kick in the butt and have a nice life. That was it. Jesus. So two weeks. Transition I, services. Wow. So two weeks, that's all you had. So, yep. I mean, what did you do? Uh, like w- once you were out and did you go back home? Oh yeah, I had to. Cause uh, you know, I didn't have anybody in North Carolina. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. So yeah, I went, I packed up my stuff and moved back to Colorado where I was originally from and, um, I, I don't remember exactly. I was mad. I remember I was pissed. And Understandably. I, yeah. And I, I remember that I was annoyed because, you know, I think when I first got back, I went and saw a recruiter about going back in the military, <laughs> like a different branch. And um, they're like, oh, well, you just got out and they're downsizing. So we're not taking any, anybody. They're like, but check back in four years, you know? And so anyway, um, yeah, that was my military service and my transition took 30 years. <laughs> so. Well, I was a prior recruiter uh, and I recruited under Obama and there was a lot of people that they were getting letters and everything and getting the ax and they try to come back in. It's like, we're not taking any prior service right now. Unless mm-hmm. you hold like a super special skill, which was mostly right. linguistics, linguistics mostly, which is very rare. So yeah, I, I understand how, how that is. And I, I felt bad for a lot of people and then people was just dumb stuff or too big of a tattoo couldn't get in. It's just like, geez. Right. 
Yeah. Right, so, so, so I kind of became like a hippie. I did. <laughs> I just kind of went from school to school and job to job and just kind of, you know, trying to find my way and, you know, moved to San Diego with a boyfriend that I had met in a school and, and, you know, that the relationship didn't work out, but I fell in love with San Diego. And so lived there off and on for 14 years and um, then went into the nonprofit. And, you know, about that time, San Diego was getting really expensive, but I was in San Diego when 9-11 happened. So it was kind of a weird place to be. I almost, I almost went back to a recruiter. But I had, really, I had a really good job. I was working, um, I was head of security at a pharmaceutical company. So oh. I was, I had a really great job. I'm like, do I want to go back in the military? No, I do not. <laughs> so at that time in my life, I was at a really good corporate job. So um, that's good. I, yeah, I was, but it was weird because it was San Diego. So on 9-11, you know, it's like, Every plane was up from Miramar, from you know the aircraft carriers were all, and all the all the ships were out. Mm -hmm. um, they all they all had an emergency, so they were out. Um, all the fighters were up. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. And then of course that night, um, my roommate at the time she was a marine, and so. We were we were sleeping. We lived way in Escondido. I worked in La Jolla, so it was only an hour and a half drive away. And we were in we were sleeping, and it was like 9-11. We were super upset. We went to bed late. And then all of a sudden, around three in the morning, we just hear this rumbling. And we're like, Crap. and so she's literally like both of us flew out of bed. I ran out the back door because our back air patio faced the street she ran out the front door and went out to the the street where our condo was and I look outside and nothing it was nothing it was an earthquake but I swear to god we both swore it's like that feels like tanks no it wasn't so, no <laughs> oh, yeah. that's funny so, so so then okay so you work at the Security agency. Mm -hmm. How long did you work oh, there? No, for? I was I was the security coordinator for the pharmaceutical company. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, what made you? Are you're not still working for them, are you? No, 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 no. I haven't worked for them for <laughs> decades. Oh, okay. Um, when I got out of the military, I was like, okay, I'll go. First, I went to floral design school, and I'm like, no, there's too much drama. I don't like drama. I don't like gossip. I don't like any of that. So I'm like, no, that is not the industry for me. And then I went to the Texas Peace Officer Academy. I'm like, well, I'll just go be a cop. That seems like a good, you know, transition from military and whatever. So I went through the Texas Peace Officer Academy, graduated, passed my T-close exam. And then I was <clears throat> offered a job at this pharmaceutical company in San Diego. So back to San Diego, I go. And um so I was in charge of all the security there. Wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing. So, well, I mean, it seems like it took you too long to figure out 
life and start making, you know, making moves. But what what made you start your magazine though, at ease? So <clears throat> fast forward 20 years. <laughs> um I over the years I had taught myself graphic design and I was kind of an, a novice writer, but um so I I had been had a couple companies started entrepreneurship, had a couple companies that I was, um, you know, doing graphic design, building websites. And this is like old school websites. This isn't like the stuff they have today. And um, so I was, I was doing that. And, and then, um, you know, I just needed a change. I was in the nonprofit world and I had done that for a decade and I just needed a clean slate. So I moved, um, I was back in Texas and I moved um, to a bigger city south of where I was living and um, started another new company, was was doing okay. Um, and then my mother moved down um, and she's older. So she moved to a little town outside of where I was, the town I was living in. So eventually I moved to the same town because, you know, she needed me close. So my brother was back and forth sometimes he was there sometimes he wasn't so I moved to this little town and ended up getting a job at the local small newspaper and fell in love with publishing um and so fell in love with the 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 editor was a real curmudgeon like he literally was your typical editor I mean think daily planet you know and, you know, he was a jerk, but he was, he, he had a lot of knowledge. And so I kept my head down and I gleaned everything I could. And then a friend of mine started our own little publishing company, um, doing kind of a community magazine. And it was great, but it wasn't going anywhere. We weren't expanding. We weren't, um, she lived in the in the community where the magazine was. I didn't. And it just got to a point where I'm like, I'm kind of done, you know, with this. This isn't, you know, this isn't lucrative. This isn't paying my bills. This isn't whatever. So 2020 and, you know, COVID hit. And I think I come up with a brilliant idea. Let me start my own publishing company and my own magazine during the middle of a pandemic. Let's do that, you know, because I can't do anything easy. Everything has to be uphill. <laughs> so I I did. So I went to my partners and uh, my business partners and I said, you know what, this isn't a doing it for me. You guys are all over the place. I really love publishing. I really love what I'm doing. But, you know, they were kind of treating me like an employee, not a partner. And I just got to the point where it's like, no, I'm kind of done with that. And it's like, I really want to do something bigger, something that's going to leave a legacy. So I started Devil Dog Publishing. Um, Devil Dog is a term of endearment to mm -hmm. um, Corman, who served with Marines, even though I wasn't 84 or 4, it was a wink and a nod to my fellow Carmen. So, and my Marines. So, and then I started Addie's Veterans, Veterans Magazine. So, it was supposed to be a little uh, 
county regional magazine. And I had so many veterans reaching out to me, asking me, can you duplicate it? Um, you know, have you thought about going national? And so I kind of took a month before I ever published an issue and kind of reworked my business model to see what I could do. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm launching a national magazine. And then in March of 21, our first issue came out. Wow. So, so, so who can, like, where do you get your stories from? Are they just submitted or? Do you, yeah, so you we help? have... We have staff writers, we have feature writers, we have contributing writers, and really, honestly, people come to me all the time, and I just write it down. I'm like, okay, we can do that in summer, we can do that in spring, and, and you know, it's gone from our first issue, our first issue is this one. And so we're in print and we're in e-magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, this is my great aunt. So I told her story. And awesome. as you can see, it's very small. It was, you know, 40 pages, um, full color, nice magazine. But um, so that was our first issue, our no girl issue. And now our magazine is 80 pages. Perfect. So you doubled. Huh? So you doubled. Yeah, we doubled in content. Yeah. So, and that's what we do now. So, and we tell stories. I mean, we've got DD214 and beyond. We've got military history. We've got veteran stories. We've got transitioning, you know, articles, VA articles, people who are really in the know with VA stuff. Um, we've got opinion pieces. We've got, we do a lot with, um, you know, mental health, PTSD. We do, we have physical fitness in there. We've got um, funny stories, like, because we have dark humor. So, um, you know, and, and we're the only veterans magazine that is 100% written by vets for vets. Awesome. So when we write, I'm not writing to civilians. I don't water it down. We don't tie it up with a pink bow. Um, we're kind of unfiltered. So we don't edit out language or, you know, difficult battle, you know, descriptions or anything like that. So, yeah. Nice. I, I like that. And so many people want to kowtow to, um, what is it? being um, politically correct yes thank you and it's just yeah. like man, we're so done with that just come on let's let's drop it well um <clears throat> at the risk of being a little political we are probably a very non-woke publication <laughs> so um because in my humble opinion you know as vets we've got a backbone mm -hmm. not I agree. by much and no. And and if we don't agree with something, it's cool. We can agree to disagree. And that's really where it goes. So so, so if somebody wants a story published, uh, where do they or who do they submit or where where do they submit to? Um they can email me at Christine at doubledocpublishing.com. Um, or they can do well, that's the best one. Just email me at Christine at doubledocpublishing.com. And if they want the magazine, 
Um, they can access it through uh, theateasemagazine.com. And we're getting ready to re redo and zhuzh up all our websites and stuff. So uh, we we got that coming. But um, yeah, that's that's it. And it's so we're in print and we're in e-magazine. All right. Do you read every magazine yourself or do you just kind of put it out there or do you actually see all content before it goes? No, I, I am the one behind well, the scenes doing all the editing and I guess I do have an editor, assistant editor, but yes, I read every story through and then my are, assistant editor goes through and kind of makes little corrections here and there. But for the most part, we don't change the voice of the vet. That's good to hear. And I have vets who are like, oh, what should I write about? I'm like, what do you want to write about? (laughs) And they're like, well, what do you want to write? What do you want me to write about? I'm like, no, what do you want to write about? That's why our magazine is so amazing. Because I'm not dictating what people write. Like, don't get me wrong. Our staff writers, yeah, I'll be like, hey, can you do a story on this? I'll assign, you know, stories and stuff. But for the most part, especially with feature and contributing writers, I don't care what you write about. Awesome. You know, if it's, you know, if it's your story, if it's a story about another person, that's cool with me too. As long as, as long as you have permission to use the pictures and the, and the likeness and the story of that person, and you can, you know, you share that with us because we're kind of a sticklers on copyright and, we don't want to do stories about people who aren't cool with it. Um, mm. But yeah, and we we're we're connected with a lot of veteran organizations as well. And we're talking the ones that never get the press ever, the ones who never get in the media, um, the little ones that are busting their busting their butts every every damn day to provide services for vets. Those are the ones we feature. So they have to be boots on the ground. They have nice. to be making yeah. a tangible difference in the lives of veterans for us to cover their story. We don't cover businesses, but businesses can advertise and they can do advertorials and write their own stuff. But um, so that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And we've got a lot of content. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Um, so you got to be a pretty busy person. If you, how, how many issues do you got going out? Is it monthly or biweekly? Or? It's quarterly. Quarterly, okay. Yeah, it's just, it's it's too big and it's too much to try to do it monthly. Okay. And then and then you have the issue because we are print. It's expensive right now to print. Um, it sucks. Our, our costs have gone up exponentially, which unfortunately I've had to pass along to our subscribers but well you have to well yeah we're getting there (laughs) and but you know more importantly we are putting out the stories we are creating something that is a legacy that isn't just about me um it's so much bigger than me so and then you know so we have we have all kinds of content and you know i i love it and I love military history and I love sharing our veteran stories and veteran, you know, service organizations. And, you know, I'm always trying to make connections with people. So. Uh, oh, of course you are. Um, besides your 
you said your grandma, right? Mm-hmm. Besides her, which story is do you do you recall is your favorite so far? Um. Well, I really love this last one. This one just about kicked my butt. So this is Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who he is? Oh, yes, I do. Okay. So this was probably my favorite one, but it was also the hardest one to write because he made me so nervous. <laughs> and, you know, when you write about other people, you really want them to like it. I'm not a journalist. Um, I had somebody tell me, they're like, oh, well, you're a journalist. You know, like, you know, we don't really trust you. And I'm like, I'm not a journalist. I'm a storyteller. That's what I do. There, You will never, in as long as I am at the helm of this magazine, there will never, ever, ever be a story about a vet that goes out that is derogatory or demeaning, ever. Ever. And so, um, you know, if I, especially if I'm writing it. So, yeah. I mean, I love my Aunt Janita's story. Don't get me wrong, but I really am proud of the Stuart Scheller cover. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, it sounds like you're doing amazing things. And I'm glad you're letting vets, you're giving a true voice to the vets and not just watering it down to fit the media narrative you got your own narrative of let's tell the truth and tell their story yeah so and and i mean when i say vets i mean all vets Mm -hmm. you know whether it's women or you know even controversial subjects like you know january 6th defendants we cover them we've been doing a story called voice for the voiceless for since spring of 21 or 22 and, you know, we give them a voice, too. And, you know, we're not here to to jump on the bandwagon and say whatever, but we're just here to say, you know what, they're veterans, and they damn all deserve a voice, too. So we give a voice to everybody, all vets. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swantingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking and keep Swanting going.